Thank you to everyone who's um, taking the challenge to be part of our Thanksgiving and prayer sessions on the Sabbath morning. Um, it's good for us to share, and the Bible does say we must share one another's burdens with one another, because with prayer, um, with prayer there is value. And um, I know, I'm not going to mention the name today, but I'm sure the person in the church would appreciate you know, we've mentioned that, that, that prayer has been answered for her during this difficult week that she had, especially yesterday. And prayer has been answered for her. And so we thank you. We praise God for, for that in, in her life. And it's in this context that we, that we look at this passage this morning. The book of Job. Job. And the story of Job starts with there was a man in the land of Uz. Does anybody know where Uz is? Does anybody know where Uz actually, where it's situated? Where? In the Middle East. If I challenge you and I tell you that you're wrong, that Uz, we all live in the land of Uz. We actually all live in the land of Uz. Because verse 1 says, Job feared God and shunned evil. We all endeavored to do our best for God and serve Him. We all live in the land of Uz. Verse 3 says, all his possessions. Job had lots of possessions. We all have possessions. And blessings from God. We all live in the land of Uz. Job had sons who would go and feast in their houses. We all do a bit of feasting. We all do a bit of celebration. And eating too much sometimes. We all live in the land of Uz. Job, verse 5 says, Job would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings. Because it may be that his sons have sins and cursed God in their hearts. We pray for our families. And wish our friends and families follow God's way too. We all live in the land of Uz. Chapter 2 verse 5 says, Satan answered, Stretch out your hand and touch his bone and flesh. And he will curse you to, his face, to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, He is in your hand, but spare his life. We all have been plagued with some crisis in our lives. We all have been plagued with challenges in our lives, just like Job. We all live in the land of Uz. Verse 9 says, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. We all may have experienced the chastisement, the questioning, and challenges from our own families. Or perhaps we questioned ourselves where God is and we wanted to curse God and die as well. We all live in the land of Uz. Eliphaz said, verse chapter 4, 
Can a mortal man be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? But as for me, I would see God and to God I would commit my cause. We all have Eliphazas in our heart, in our lives. We receive the ridicule from especially ourselves and wonder whether we have sinned and God is punishing us when we face some of the difficulties and perhaps why things doesn't happen the way we want it to happen for us. We all ask that question and ask the question, say, look, perhaps you've sinned. That's why things are not happening for us. We all live in the land of Uz. The bottom line is Job's story is our story. Job's experience is our experience. Job's challenges is sometimes our challenges. We all live in the land of Uz. I remember taking a lift from one of our pastors up in, um, up in the, uh, close to B Birmingham, Bristol, sorry. We were driving together for a meeting in um, um, Watford. But as he's talking for the two hours that we drove driving, he shares his story about his pastoral experience, his experience, his experience with his house, his challenges with his, with his children, his challenges with, with the churches that he's experiencing. And as I listened to him, I realized that his story is my story too. And so many times other people's stories are our stories too. And other people's challenges are our challenges too. Job's story is our story. We all live in the land of Uz. But as we've seen in Job, we've seen in Job the journey of life, our life story is not a linear story. It doesn't mean that we are faced with retribution when we sin. We don't believe in the doctrine of retribution. What is retribution? We don't believe in the fact of righteous punishment or righteous consequences. The Bible doesn't mention that. The Bible doesn't say just because you've sinned, therefore, you will get punished. The Bible doesn't say because I've messed up in my life, as an, in my, my early life, therefore, I get punished. The Bible does not talk about retribution, even though Eliphaz mentions that. Because we realize that sometimes life is unfair and makes no sense sometimes. Because if we look to Psalm 73, we realize that the wicked prosper and the faithful suffers. We realize that the one with healthy lifestyle sometimes gets cancer, while the smoker lives to 90 and beyond. We realize that the one who returns tithe and offering suffers, while the other one who doesn't gets blessed. We realize that the abuser gets off lightly, while the defender gets the long sentence. The Bible does not talk about retribution, the doctrine of retribution. It doesn't support it, because the Bible doesn't believe in bad karma and good karma. Just because I've sinned, therefore, I am punished. You know why? Because let's say if we did get deserved punishment for our sins, 
then it inevitably turns God into a means for pursuing good circumstances. In other words, what I'm saying is, if that was truly correct, if truly it was correct that because I've done wrong, I have messed up, therefore my life 20 years later is messed up in this way because I've sinned, then the only way that I serve God is for the reason that if I serve Him, then everything will go well in my life. But we know it doesn't happen that way. Because even if I serve God, like Asaph says in Psalm 73, I serve God, I do everything well, but yet I get plagued every day. We know that it doesn't work out. Why do I serve God? Why do you serve God? Because you're blessed. Why do I follow God? Because He looks after my needs? Why? What if I'm so burdened with trials and challenges? Does God not seem to care about me? Can I still say God is good even if it doesn't feel like it? Job's story illustrates this. Because Job, the Bible says, Job chapter 1, Job is a righteous man. Job is probably the most the greatest of all the people of the east and yet Job gets challenged life is not linear life has upside downs life messes us around life causes us to suffer even though we are in church every day every sabbath every time even though we pray Five times a day, life messes us around and sometimes things are not unfair. But the point is, if we try to pursue God just to get what we want, if we serve God only for the purpose of being blessed, then there's something wrong. Because when things get wrong, when things go wrong, when things are not going well, we fall into despair and hopelessness. But the flip side of this is when things are going well. Remember, we serve God. Yes, we serve God. We pray for Him. Pray with for Him. We, we, we give our tithes and offerings. We, we, we're every Sabbath in church. When things go well, the flip side of we become smug and self-righteous and judgmental and this will cause damage for the people who suffers like Job got damaged because then we'll become like Aliphaz and we will look at that other person and say man who sinned you or your father or maybe they'll say listen if you can just get your life in order things will actually work out for you. Or we say, if you can just stop sinning, then things will work out for you. And we judge. And we cause damage in other people's lives. Or when things go badly, we fall into despair and hopelessness. The Bible does not support the doctrine of retribution. Remember, visiting one of our members and he tells me you know sometimes he's challenged sometimes want to do the best 
Sometimes going to get up Sabbath mornings and go to church. But then the illness challenges him. And every day of the week it's okay. But Sabbath mornings is the challenge and he's not able to come to church. And I remember saying to him. The devil is at work here. And the devil is causing this to stop you from coming to church. It's later on when I drove home and I realized, man, maybe that must not, that might not have been the best response. Because Job tells me the journey of life is not linear. That it doesn't matter who we are. The trouble, that illness, that difficulties are no respecter of persons. But most of all, that sin does not have logical and rational cosmic reasoning. This week, one person also asked me in terms of how did it happen? What caused somebody like Lucifer to even sin? What made him? He was so perfect in heaven. What caused, what really caused evil? What is the, the ingredient that caused evil in Lucifer's mind in order to, to sin? And I said to the point, I gave the answer and said, look, sin does not have logical and rational cosmic reasoning. Sin is illogical and complicated and nobody understands it. Complex problems do not have simple solutions. But one day, I wish I've said, and maybe I did say it, but one day God will answer all the questions. The solution is in the storyline, not the details from today's perspective, but at the moment, we do not know the whole story. Job did not know the whole story. Last week, we had Royal Cornwall show. And I was disappointed. Because we had all the volunteers lined up. And it was disappointing. When every morning... Two or three people would send me a text and say, I'm not coming anymore. I'm not able to come. I can't do it today. And I was tempted. And I'll be honest, tempted. And in fact, I did judge some of the people. Their intentions. Their excuses. Their lack of commitment. And their lack of mission spirit. Those are all the things that went into my mind and said, listen, man, we've planned this couldn't you have known about this beforehand and told me that you can't do it? Why do this? I realized. As the day went through, I realized and I asked God to forgive my mind. I realized that we all live in the land of Uz. We all share Jacob's story. And perhaps Romans 12 verse 15 is important when we deal with these challenges in our life that Romans 12 verse 15 says, let's rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep and be of the same mind toward one another. 
And as I thought through the day, I realized, listen, you have no right to judge someone else's motives because you have no idea what goes on in a person's life at that particular moment. And I'm glad for God's grace. I'm glad for God's grace that He can even forgive a short-minded minister of the gospel. So how do I understand the story? In the things that things are not, things are complicated. That we all live in this land of ooze. That we're all going through and life is not linear and things mess us up and we don't know where things are going. How, do we, how does Job help us to understand this point? One. I've got two points. One. So I finish. I can only begin to understand God's ministry to the universe, to his humanity and creation from Job's perspective. You know what is Job's perspective? When I go through those challenges and things in my life, and I think that God is unfair, and He's messing me around, and why is it because I've sinned that I'm doing this? You know, what is Job's perspective? Job's perspective is in Job 1 verse 21. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What does Job mean by that? What does Job mean by that? Job means by, Job understands, Job, Job, Job is not talking about material things. But perhaps Job is analyzing God's ministry to him and us as complicated, interesting, unfathomable, yet amazing. I may not understand it, but it is amazing, it's fair, and everything will work out beautifully. Perhaps Job's context says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In other words, maybe Job's perspective is, listen, Lord, I have no idea what you're doing up there. I have no idea what you do day to day. But listen, you give, you take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I have no idea what you're doing up there. But listen, you're doing the right thing and the best thing for me at this particular moment. So blessed be the name of the Lord. Because God's love does not make sense. I remember sitting in my room at Newbold, overlooking the field, as I'm thinking through what I need to write. And I sometimes get distracted because I see from my room people walking from the marriage quarters, you know, towards the, 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 um, the, the lecture halls. And as I see this little, the father, and a little boy, probably about two or three years old, on his bike. They walking, the father is walking towards home. The little boy turns around and is riding his bike back towards the lecture halls. And his father is saying to him, Come. You know, I can picture it's looking at it. Says, Come, come, you must come this way. The boy shakes his head. He goes. He's going the other way. He wouldn't listen to what his father does or rather says. His father gets annoyed, I can see, because he wants to go home. But the child keeps going arrogantly. And always what happens, or you know what will happen, he falls. The boy falls. The bike goes over, the boy falls, and gets what? He hurts himself. Guess what happens? The boy cries. He's he cries. The father runs, 
picks him up and hugs him. Now I'm sitting in there, I'm looking at this picture, and I said, I would have been annoyed. I would have been warming this boy's bottom by now. I would have said, listen, I told you this would happen. If you just followed me, we're going home, then this would not have happened. I would have, but instead the father picks him up, hugs him. The boy wants to get back on his bike again. And the father gently puts him back on his bike again. And they're making their way home. And I sit there and I shake my, scratch my head and I, and immediately I put the thing and it says, God's love does not make sense. And Joe got this picture. The only way we can make sense of the things around one is to say, listen, God, your love does not make sense. But I don't know what you're doing up there, but you give and you take it away. But blessed be the name of the Lord anyway. Because you're a great God and, and I know you, you're doing things what, what I don't understand. But you'll sort things out. I'm just going to be faithful to you. The second point that I want to bring out in terms of making sense of everything that goes around us. Whether it's Brexit, whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's the Pope doing things. Whether everything happening and it's just it's a muddle. The point is, the second point is that, that, that our love towards God... And our walk with Him is based on who He is, not our interpretation of what He does. So instead of, the first part is that we don't know but we trust Him. The second part is that, look, I'm going to walk with God, not what He does, but who He is. And so the whole concept of our salvation depends on what? Who we serve. It's who is on our side. Who is connected to us. Who is with us. And that is Jesus Christ. A beautiful story that was written. In the, um, in, in, in the Adventist mission. I think it's Adventist mission. Or it's um, uh, Adventist review. A couple of weeks ago. It's a story by Glenn Enford Lye. He says. There will only be one question. That will be asked on judgment day. And I heard it. When my international flight landed in Portland in the U.S. state of Oregon. The U.S. immigration officer glanced at my Norwegian passport and then put up, put, and looked up at me at Portland International Airport. What are your plans? He asked. I'm visiting a friend. I replied. What is the address? He said. I don't know, I said. But she's going to meet me here at the airport. The immigration officer didn't look pleased that I didn't know the address. So where did you meet her? He said. At the college outside London, I said. What did you study there? He said. Theology. The immigration officer studied my face. Are you a believer? He said. Yes. He looked down at my passport in his hand and then back at me and then down at the passport again and then back at me. So why are you saved? He said. The answer tumbled out of my mouth because Jesus died for me, I said. The immigration officer looked at me. Good answer, he said. You may enter. 
I smiled and entered the United States. The significance of this conversation struck me as I walked to the baggage claim area. Because only one question will be asked on Judgment Day. Why are you saved? The answer is found in 1 John 5, I said, which says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Why are you saved? With the assurance of salvation you can reply with confidence, he writes, because Jesus died for me. In return you will hear the sweet words coming from Jesus. Good answer. You may enter. Job's story tells me the picture that I don't know what God is doing up there. I try and understand everything. Job's story tells me that I know what is happening around me and it's confusing me. My life, my illness, my, the death that I'm experiencing, all, this, all the, the, the Pope and, 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 and Donald Trump and, and Brexit and all these things are confusing me. That I know. But one thing I can know for sure is that in here or rather not one thing I know for sure the one thing that I must make sure is what's in here to say that I know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you want to know Jesus? Will you always know Jesus? Because we all live in the land of Uz. We all share Job's story. We do not know the whole story. Sin does not have logical and rational cosmic reasons. Sin is illogical and complicated. Complex problems do not have simple solutions. One day God will answer all the questions. We should not hurt a suffering person. The greatest of these is love. And our journey with one another is the best we can be. That's why I'm a pathfinder. Because the pathfinder said, by the grace of God, I will be pure and kind and true. I will be a servant of God and a friend to man. I will keep the morning watch. Do my honest part care for my body, keep a level eye, be courteous and obedient, walk softly in the sanctuary, keep a song in my heart, and willingly and faithfully go on God's errand. In other words, folks, the only thing that God wants us to be is to be the best pathfinder that we can be. And it ultimately gets down to, do I know Jesus? I encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, to search for him.
to get to know him again and understand him.